First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One, okay, cool guy. Two, three times. Next, oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down, up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This was the deciding game of the ABA championship. It was a game the Pipers couldn't lose, a game they wouldn't lose. This is Heyman on a fast break. In the end, it was the Pittsburgh speed that won it. Charlie Williams leading all scorers with 35 points. Hawkins finishing with 20. Doug Moe, while playing a great game against Hawkins, finished with 28. Final score, the seventh and deciding game of the ABA championship, Pittsburgh 122, New Orleans 113. It took the full seven games, and though the outcome had been in doubt several times, the Pipers finally proved what they had known all along, that they were indeed the best in the ABA. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. All right, this is going to be fun. I can feel it in my bones. Hi, everybody. It's Tim Hanlon. It's Good Seats Still Available. How are you out there in listener land? We appreciate your finding our little podcast and downloading it and putting us uh, in your earbuds or streaming it or or However you're ingesting uh, this week's episode, we uh, we uh, humbly bow in your uh, general direction. And um, two of the most uh, fun uh, things that we like to sort of circle around this little podcast that is focused on what used to be in professional sports is the uh, sport of basketball. We love the hoops for sure. And uh, the great city of Pittsburgh. And this is the uh, the opportunity to kind of combine the two. It's kind of like uh, chocolate and peanut butter coming together in the old Reese's peanut butter cup. Uh, as we talk this week with our pal Stephen Nesbitt, we talk about Pittsburgh and basketball. It's a seemingly long stretch, I guess, in terms of uh, sort of, uh, you know, thinking about professional basketball and Pittsburgh, a, a history that is uh, is real, but very tattered and, uh, and oftentimes uh, not only misunderstood, but just plain old forgotten. And uh, as you heard in that little clip there, I think people uh, in particular forget that in 1968, the Pittsburgh Pipers of the first year American Basketball Association, the old ABA, red, white, and blue, that, uh, were the champions, the first champions of this uh, challenger league to the dominant NBA. And we, we've talked a lot about the ABA uh, in previous episodes, but uh, we really haven't delved into the Pipers, or, or was it the Minnesota Pipers, or, or was it the Pittsburgh Pipers, or was it the Pittsburgh Condors? Well, it's yes to all of those things, and a checkered history it was. Uh, but you could do no better, maybe at, not at the gate uh, as much, but certainly on the court than what the Pipers of Pittsburgh were able to do in the very first season of the ABA. And that was win it all in this brand new challenger thing called the American Basketball Association. But as you'll hear in our conversation with Stephen Nesbitt in just a few moments, uh, it was uh, the best of times, arguably, and the, the worst of times, I guess, when it came to professional basketball. In Pittsburgh, and we get into 
a deep history. Uh, I think, frankly, a a uh, a wallpapered over, uh, a, just a plain old forgotten history of basketball in the Steel City. Uh, you know, uh, when the Pipers left and then they came back and then they changed their name to the uh, the Condors and then sort of folded even before the ABA did uh, in 1972. That is the Condors uh, going away. And by the way, they defeated the uh, New Orleans Buccaneers uh, in that uh, 1968 uh, original final. And that clip, by the way, that you heard, uh, the voice is really familiar. And I tried my darndest to figure out who that voice was. I'll put it out there to our audience. If if that uh, those dulcet tones are, are, if you can remember who that is, we certainly love to know. Uh, it's kind of on the tip of our tongue, but I, this, I don't have a real easy way to sort of uh, determine uh, who that voice was. It, it sounds familiar. Uh, but that was from the official, uh, and there was such a thing, sort of an ABA films, uh, sort of an NFL films knockoff, I guess, presentation of the uh, championship game. Uh, and I'm sure there's other uh, clips and, and and films out there from the ABA. We'd, we'd love to find those. But before the ABA came to town in 1967 for its first uh, season in Pittsburgh, as well as the league itself, Pittsburgh was actually a, a fairly vibrant uh, basketball culture. You could make the argument still is with Pitt and you know, the surrounding area for sure. But, uh, you know, you, you go by all the way back. We talked a few episodes ago about the uh, the Black Fives era uh, of basketball. And Pittsburgh was uh, pretty much the center of attention as we got into our, our conversation about Cumberland Posey uh, just a few weeks back. The uh, Monticello team that was sort of based uh, in the Pittsburgh area, the uh, Lowendy Big Five that Posey was part of and, and owned for a while. It was a domiciled in Pittsburgh and in the early in the aughts, uh, all the way up to 1913 and 1915. These were championship sides in the Black Fives play. Uh, and that was uh, you could make the argument that the, the, during those uh, those uh, that decade or so, the mid uh, mid aughts to the sort of mid teens, Pittsburgh was uh, probably maybe the uh, the basketball center of the world, at least in the United States. And it's also very interesting, too, you know, that. Uh, the Pipers were one of the uh, founding franchises in the ABA when it started up. Um, that actually fulfilled a kind of a, a, a theme that Pittsburgh uh, seemed to embody every time a new basketball league or a professional league uh, was set up. The Pittsburgh Pirates uh, of the uh, National Basketball League uh, were uh, there at the beginning. Uh, the Pittsburgh Raiders, uh, when the NBL was sort of reconstituting, uh, Pittsburgh uh, had, was one of the founding members of the Basketball Association of America, which then folded into and records wise is now uh, fully incorporated into the NBA, the Pittsburgh Ironmen. They only played one season, that that being 47 to 48. And then the Wrens or the Pittsburgh Renaissance, as they were officially known, uh, played in this thing that uh, we've also talked about way back when, uh, when we talked about Abe Saperstein and his American Basketball League, uh, a pioneer at that a, a year and a half long or so. Uh, that was from 61 until that league's demise in the kind of the middle to near the end of the 1963, 62-63 season, uh, the Pittsburgh Wrens or Renaissance. So uh, all of those teams, including as well the Pipers, right, were all part of starting professional leagues. And and Pittsburgh was, uh, I, frankly, it seemed to be like an everybody's shortlist of like, oh, OK, got to have a franchise in Pittsburgh. But you know, the demise of the ABA and certainly the demise of the couple of different incarnations of the Pittsburgh franchise there really uh, kind of set the tone and, and, and a sad, I guess, legacy going forward uh, for pro basketball uh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the CBA came once or twice. Uh, there's uh, sort of the 
the ragtag sort of successor to the ABA, very, very minor league at that, not even that, not even pro, semi-pro at best. Um, but Pittsburgh and basketball is sort of a hidden gem. And uh, you wonder, as we get into our conversation with Stephen Nesbitt, uh, again, in just a few moments, uh, perhaps the G League could come a calling again. Uh, could Pittsburgh support, if not an NBA franchise, what about a G League uh, now sort of fully embraced and, and funded by the NBA? It's certainly possible. But I think it's also uh, a, a little sort of uh, wistful, uh, <laughs> we get into this as well, that perhaps the biggest uh, legacy that most people, most uh, you know, the newcomers to the scene uh, might ascribe to a Pittsburgh and basketball when those things are put together in the same sentence is the uh, the movie from 1979, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Yes, we indeed get into that because uh, that's, you know, it's a little pop culture there, uh, but it also speaks to, I guess, uh, sort of the uh, the DNA of basketball in Pittsburgh uh, and uh, the premise for a very silly but uh, highly enjoyable film that Pittsburgh and basketball could uh, succeed together as a professional endeavor. Uh, we get into all of that. We shake vigorously and have a fun, filled chat with our guest this week, Stephen Nesbitt. He, the author of a very uh, awesome uh, article, uh, he writes a ton of stuff for The Athletic, uh, that website that uh, if you're not subscribing to uh, by now, by golly, you should be. Uh, but if you search up uh, the June 8th, 2020 issue or the date uh, of such and the article, How the Pipers, Condors and Pro Basketball in Pittsburgh Went Extinct, that was kind of the excuse for me to to dial up Stephen and, and talk about Pittsburgh and basketball. And uh, it's fun. Uh, stay tuned. You're going to enjoy it tremendously, uh, as they say, I guarantee. Before we get there, I want to say uh, uh, a tip of our uh, Pittsburgh uh I don't know, Pirates, maybe Steelers, baseball cap in the general direction of our pal P.F. Wilson uh, and our friends at OldSchoolShirts.com, who at OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off all of your purchases, have a uh, an entire two pages worth of great T-shirts representing the great steel city of Pittsburgh. The Igloo is a great shirt there, remembering Civic Arena, where a lot of uh, our conversation coming up takes place, including the Fish at Save Pittsburgh, if you can believe that. How about a Piper's shirt? I think it's from the original first go-around, the first year, the Pittsburgh Pipers. Beautiful blue and sort of burnt orange and a gray shirt there, Pittsburgh Pipers. The Pittsburgh Condors that they changed their name to once they came back from a year-long sabbatical, I guess, in Minnesota as the Minnesota Pipers. There's a T-shirt there with that great and... Um, unforgettable uh, logo, the Pittsburgh Condors. The Pittsburgh Ironmen, as we alluded to earlier, one of the earlier uh, franchises in uh, pro basketball history in Pittsburgh. Uh, that shirt uh, is there for you too, commemorating uh, the very brief life of, of that franchise, as well as just a whole bunch of other cool Pittsburgh pop culture and sports histories, plural, represented in great and affordable and high quality t-shirt form, he says. So again, that's oldschoolshirts.com. It's spelled just like it sounds. All together now, oldschoolshirts.com. And make sure you use the promo code GOODSEATS. That's usually one word around here. And that's 10% that you're going to get right off the top from all of your purchases when you go to that site early and often. Again, it doesn't have to be the Pittsburgh stuff. It could be from any of the other great cities represented or any of the other hundreds of shirts that are there for you at oldschoolshirts.com. Again, thank you to PF. Uh, Wilson and uh, his uh, band of merry women and men 
And uh, we uh, greatly and humbly uh, appreciate their long-lasting support for this little show. We uh, couldn't uh, do it without them. And uh, we couldn't do it without you. And that is listening and downloading and enjoying, sitting back, kicking your feet up, and uh, taking your mind off all the ills of the world that might be surrounding you. Let's get into some levity, shall we? Here's our chat with Stephen Nesbitt, and let's get into Hoops and the Steel City. Here it comes. Please, as always, enjoy the festivities. I stumbled across your, your exceptional piece in, in The Athletic um, and thought it would be a perfect excuse to kind of touch on hoops and Pittsburgh and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we don't have to yeah, get yeah. pedantic about it, but um, maybe just to give our audience a sense of um, your uh, background, your career, uh, Pittsburgh in, in general, and, and maybe uh, we can stumble into how uh, you kind of circled around basketball in Pittsburgh because Lord knows it's never it's not been a really uh, – I don't know, uh, long-lasting love affair, I guess, or, or maybe it has. We just haven't been paying attention. Yeah, it's a pretty brief history of basketball in Pittsburgh, uh, pro basketball at least. They they do have the University of Pittsburgh, which has, has had some good teams over the years and always has stayed pretty relevant. But uh, on the pro level, man, the, 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 the fish that saved Pittsburgh is probably about as good as it got. Uh, here in Pittsburgh, we'll we'll get back to that. We'll get there, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so my, my background is uh, I – um, I am from Michigan, generally from Lansing, Michigan area. Uh, I went to the University of Michigan, studied journalism there. Um, never covered basketball there, covered football and hockey and, and a, lot of, a lot of other things there. And uh, landed in Pittsburgh right after that. Uh, didn't really have any connection to Pittsburgh other than my brother was at the time um, in grad school at Carnegie Mellon right here in the city. And so I, I uh, had an internship here in Pittsburgh and I, I crashed on his couch and got a job there the, the following year. So I've been here ever since, actually. I think we're coming up on uh, maybe seven years since I got out of school and got a job um, at the newspaper in Pittsburgh. I have since moved over to The Athletic in Pittsburgh. And uh, and it's a it's a great city. I, I never thought I'd stay this long, and now I never want to leave. So uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful city. Don't know if you've been here before. But the, the basketball scene is, is um, it's not outrageously good. Like I said, Pitt has been pretty, pretty steady. Um, on the, on the college basketball scene. But the way this story came about for me was actually um, a reader had reached out to me and said, did you hear, uh, or, or I think you should go do a story on the time that uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's no-show ruined uh, pro basketball in Pittsburgh. And I said, well, I mean, that sounds like a good story. So I had, I had very little knowledge of, of this slice of, um, I guess it was the Condors at that point, Condor's history in uh, the fall, I think, of 1971. could have been 1972. And so it began for me as just a, a dive into that event. And did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, actually ruin pro basketball in Pittsburgh? What's the story there? So what I ended up finding and, and what I wrote in the story was that the, that event probably didn't, that probably wasn't the tipping point, uh, but uh, a, a whole host of uh, almost a comedy of errors had happened and occurred to bring us to the point where uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sitting out with an, an uh, you know, he got poked in the eye uh, that, uh, that pretty much did them in as a franchise. Well, let, let's get into that a little bit because I mean, the uh, we've had a number of conversations around uh, the ABA, including by the way, the, uh, the still with us at 90 some odd years old now uh, founder of that league, Dennis Murphy. Um, yeah. And uh, pretty razor sharp memory still, but uh, you know, um, Pat Boone was a, a previous guest of ours, too, at the Oakland Oaks. I mean, 
a lot of people kind of maybe sort of forget uh, that Pittsburgh was a founding member of this ABA. Uh, it kind of came and went and came back again. And But, you know, the, the, the life of a franchise in the ABA, in Pittsburgh, no exception, was, um, I don't know, tenuous at best, even if it was showing up in the scorecard and the lineup. But the Pipers, I mean, you know, uh, pretty uh, uh, interesting story in 67. I mean, they actually won the championship. I, I think that's uh, probably lost in, uh, in, the, uh, in the haze of all of this uh, uh, sort of uh, thinking about Pittsburgh and basketball. Yes, for as, for as spectacularly as the Pipers and Condors franchise ultimately um, it, it sort of imploded, uh, the beginning was as good as you could possibly get. Um, so, yeah, the ABA is trying to get off the ground in 1970, uh, 1967, excuse me, and the Pittsburgh is one of their franchises. They had a couple of previous franchises. We'll, we'll touch on them later. And uh, there was uh, tepid excitement, I think. They, they had... Uh, Connie Hawkins as their star player. Connie Hawkins is a uh, obviously a, a Hall of Famer. Ultimately makes the NBA, but this was before that. He had he had gone to the University of Iowa very briefly and basically got kicked out of school on um, on a, a a sports gambling scheme um, and was was kind of blackballed from the NBA. Was not allowed to to go to the NBA. So he begins in the ABA. Uh, he had played for the Pittsburgh Wrens previously. Uh, another. Uh, you know, short-lived Pittsburgh pro team. And he ends up being the first star of the Pipers in 1967. They had Charlie Williams was another um, great player uh, who ends up, uh, you know, making a, making waves across basketball for, for a number of years. So there were no, no slouches here. And they start off, they're playing at uh, civic arena in Pittsburgh, which is where the, the Penguins played at the time. And they were, they were the basketball team taking over at civic arena. And they uh, have a, have a great first season behind the Hawk. And they go into the to the uh, into the playoffs. They keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. They get to the the final against the New Orleans Buccaneers. Again, these are most of the names you're going to hear early on in the ABA are not the ones that were alive when the merger actually happened. No, but the, uh, but the most fascinating for sure. We love the, 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 the more obscure the better. Uh, don't even get me started on the uh, the uh, you know teams like the uh, Miami Floridians, for example. Yeah, yeah, and you'll you'll notice. I think it was the semifinals of that first year. They played the Minnesota Muskies. And uh, they'll they'll come into play in about uh, two minutes in my story. So, back to the Pipers and the Buccaneers in the in the finals. Um, it's a it's an incredible series. Now I've gone back and looked through <clears throat> newspaper archives in both Pittsburgh and, and New Orleans for those games. And you um, you look every single one of those games was was decided by less than uh, ten points. I think eight points was the max. And they go into overtime in one of these games. Charlie Williams plays the hero and and. Uh, hits a free throw to, to, to knock off New Orleans in another game and ultimately it comes back to Pittsburgh um, for game seven after Pittsburgh had extended the series in game six, uh, winning in New Orleans. And Pittsburgh is able to cl- uh, hold on to a lead and, and, uh, and keep it. But what uh, Connie Hawkins, obviously no longer with us, but I was able to find some old footage of him talking about that. And he said, it was incredible to see how the Pipers were, were beginning to be embraced in Pittsburgh where he said, I walked in to the arena a couple hours before the game and the, fan, and the fans were already, um, you know, packing the seats. And he said, I, that was sort of when I realized that, you know, Pittsburgh just might be able to um, be able to function here uh, with, a, with a pro basketball team. You may, might be able to keep one alive here in Pittsburgh. And he ends up uh, scoring 20 points. Charlie Williams is 35 in the final. And they, they hold off New Orleans and, and win 122 to 113. And, you know, you have this this great celebration scene. You you can actually see some of it in old uh, old footage on YouTube. Um, and 
<laughs> for everyone who thought that that was a great sign for the future of basketball in Pittsburgh, you have a, a you know eleven thousand fans uh, packing into Civic Arena. It wasn't such a good sign because uh, within four months, uh, <laughs> the Minnesota Muskies, which I had had mentioned before, they had drawn so poorly despite being a semifinal team that they moved down to Miami and became the Miami Floridians, another great name and a team that didn't last too long. And Pittsburgh said, you know what? We didn't draw too well our first year in Pittsburgh. You know, it was, I think, somewhere around 3,000 fans per game. We've got a bright idea. What if we move our operations to Minneapolis and we take over uh, where the Muskies just vacated and they become the Minnesota Pipers? And to those of you who have never heard of this team, it's probably because it only lasted one year. After one year, they pulled up stakes and said, you know what, I think maybe we're better off in Pittsburgh where we won a championship in our one and only season. And so the the Pipers, within a span of three years, their first three years of existence, they go Pittsburgh Pipers uh, and they win the championship. Minnesota Pipers and they don't do quite so well. They move back to Pittsburgh in 1969 and uh, they're terrible by that point in time. And that is kind of the story of the rest of their five-year history. Um, the Pipers actually get a name change at that point, and they get renamed to the Condors. They were going to be called. Um, I'm trying to think. Let's uh, give me two seconds here. I'm they, they, the uh, Pioneers, I think, was the, the Pioneers. Uh, that's it. Yeah, yes, that was. A, I, so, I guess one of those proverbial name the team contests. But you know, it's so it's so interesting that they would go that route, considering that the team had come and gone and come back again. It's like, oh, okay, let's try to ingratiate ourselves, ingratiate ourselves with the, what fans we have. To, yeah, you know, hardly hardly Pioneers. So the the reason they they didn't uh, they got pushed back on that is there's a little university right in the center of, of Pittsburgh, right in the Golden Triangle, as they call it. Uh, probably, you know, less than a half mile from from where uh, Civic Arena stood. And th- it is called Point Park, and Point Park uh, was the Pioneers. And that was the reason that they backed off of that name. Is that it's, okay, okay, we won't, uh, you know, we won't move in next door and take your name. And But just think of the absurdity of, of this move that they just pulled. Uh, not only did you win the championship in your first season, and just as you're starting to get some uh, some real attention, you pull the team out of there and the, the complaints from ownership were that they didn't get a, a you know, a radio sponsor, didn't give it, get a TV sponsor. And the owner was, was said, <laughs> Gabe Rubin is his name. He was saying, basically I was fronting all the money to get us any attention. Uh, but you know, you just started an upstart franchise. Like you, you got to wait a couple, couple of years for this thing to, to, to play out and immediately moves into Minnesota, then brings them back thinking that maybe some of that goodwill from, from year one would still be, alive and, and it absolutely was not they they barely drew anybody in 69 so they changed the, they sold the team they changed the name to the condors um which you know appropriately is is a at that point a, a nearly extinct bird from california and they uh they are just a, as much of a mess as they ever were so they last two more seasons and it goes really poorly so by this time connie hawkins has gone to the nba and he'll go on to have a an amazing career there um, so they're led by a guy named John Brisker at this point in time. And, and a lot of folks probably nowadays wouldn't know a ton about Brisker. Um, of all, man, of all the players I've ever interviewed people about, people had the most absurd stories about John Brisker. He's, a, he's someone who uh, just had the, the most red hot temper that, that anybody really has ever seen. Um, I, uh, there were a couple of guys who said I was just like, I stayed away from him. I was, I was scared of him. He, he, he'd play 40 minutes a game and then come out to practice the next day. And he'd hate that anybody was actually making effort in practice because he's tired. He played the whole game. And, uh, and so they just said he, he, he was intimidating that 
one of the guys I talked to for the story was a former Condor player named Walt Zerbiak. And basketball fans might recognize his name for his son, Wally Zerbiak, who uh, was an all-star in the NBA not so long ago. And Walt Zerbiak grew up in Pittsburgh, right on the south side of the city. He could walk to their practice arena. He could walk to Civic Arena. Um, His parents both worked in the city. Um, and his brothers did as well. So, uh, Walt Zerbiak, I, I talked to him. He said, you know, John Brisker really hated me because I was the guy, right? I was his backup. And so we'd play a game, Brisker would play the whole game and we'd come up to practice and I want to prove myself to show that I could, you know, deserve some, some playing time here. And, uh, he, he said, I, I was probably a little bit of a goody two shoes and John Brisker hated goody two shoes. And this, uh, ends up, being a player who who sort of uh let's say spirals a bit in his in his future years john brisker there are stories galore uh there's a great book called loose balls uh, about the history of the aba and there are stories of, of brisker bringing you know a gun into the dressing room uh stomp players had on the court and ultimately uh tragically and confusingly he disappears this is about uh, probably six or seven years after the Condors folded, his last year with the Condors, uh, John Brisker went to Africa, I think it was Uganda, and just disappears. Um, and the, if I recall correctly, and, and this could be a little bit off, so definitely do your own, do your own searching. I think it was, uh, the idea was that he had gotten involved in some, like a, a, a diamond selling trade. And uh, people think that, uh, people think that, he disappeared and he was killed over there. So he was declared legally dead years later, but um, I don't believe they ever, ever found his body or anything. So John Brisker was their, their hero of the, the hero of the Condors franchise in the years after, um, in the years after the Hawk left and went to the NBA. And uh, I guess that sort of, uh, you know, paints a picture for you of of where the Condors were headed once they, (laughs) once they changed their name and once they kind of got to their, their last season in Pittsburgh in 1972. Well, based on what I read, the Condors didn't necessarily, or maybe even the Pipers prior, because I think he was he was a member of the team the sixty nine seventy season. They didn't they weren't shy about you know touting his volatility almost as a sort of as a marketing gimmick. I think. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, this the I really do recommend this book. It's just full of of great stuff with with guys <laughs> remembering um, just how absurd it could be to to try to play along that side, or even better to play against him. So. Um, there was one team who basically had a who basically had a, a, a a bit of a bounty system out for him. So anybody who knocked him to the floor would get paid a certain amount. And uh, and Brisker uh, was what he was he was he had the target on his back. Um, there 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 are just great stories of guys uh, going to to Pitt's campus, Pitt, Pitt right here in Oakland uh, neighborhood of Pittsburgh, and they'd all work out at the field house and. Uh, it was sort of just no holds barred at that point. You're usually working out in the summer at this point. And <clears throat> Brisker was just not a guy you wanted to, to get across of. And so football players would take him on, basketball players would take him on. And he just had no problem fighting his own teammates, which is, you know, uh, quite the, <laughs> quite the, quite the teammate to have if you're always kind of looking, looking over your shoulder. But guys tell stories of him. Yeah. Having a, bringing a gun in his bag and bringing his bag into the locker room. And if you cross him in, in practice, you just might get the gun pulled. Well, look, it's, it seems that uh, you know, a couple of things that, that kind of stick out, I guess, as the, uh, around the Pipers and then their ultimate sort of uh, uh, coalescing around the, the, the Condors uh, name. Uh, the, 
you know, this is uh, the Pipers were one of the first teams uh, in the very first season of the ABA, right? So not only winning the championship, but you know, it was a relatively new enterprise. I generally, right? It was obviously trying to, you know, be a competitor to the NBA, which had sort of been languishing and had its own sort of issues and stuff. So it was ripe for a challenge for sure. But also in Pittsburgh, right? I think it's also intriguing that this was also the first season uh, under the same roof uh, for the uh, NHL expansion, Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and I wonder, uh, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, if if the Penguins were arguably a better draw or maybe were stealing some more of the thunder given the fact that it was the NHL. NHL really was just starting to kind of, after years and years of uh, holding back the idea of expansion, hell, they were only six teams until 1967, right? So the fact that there was a new NHL franchise on the scene, um, I'm just wondering, I guess one could wonder is – Pittsburgh more of a hockey town in its first uh, season, having these two franchises under one roof, or am I just reading too much possibly into that? No, no, no. I, th- I think you're you're spot on. I think it's it's kind of inarguably true that that Pittsburgh is, um, of course, today more of a hockey town. But even back then, was it was just less of a difficulty to get them um, off the ground, I guess. So the Penguins, you're right. Starting in 1967, 68, same year, they do not win the championship in their first year. The Penguins are uh, just pretty awful in the early early years. But at the same time, um, I was looking back at some old attendance uh, figures, and, and they were drawing from the very beginning, uh, right around, I think, 7,000, between seven and 8,000, whereas um, the, the Pipers, who are a fantastic team with a Hall of Famer at the helm, they're struggling to get even you know 3,000 on a good night. And so the Penguins, by the time the, 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 the Condors folded, uh, 19, spring of 1973, the Penguins were drawing like 11,000 fans per game. So they were pretty well established. And of course, now I uh, have no problem drawing as uh, you've had a you know pretty good run of teams here in the uh, the past decade, at least. And and the Pipers are, are no more. So the, I, I do think there's, uh, I don't know what the reason is necessarily, because they had the players to, to make it work, right? If they hadn't been uh, I guess impatient enough that they yanked the team out of there after one year, you really do wonder what would have happened. Um, uh, I, I don't know, given the other attempts to get a team off the ground in Pittsburgh and how those didn't work, you know, maybe it just wasn't meant to be because they have certainly tried it uh, a number of times, but, uh, but you have to wonder, had they been, had a little more patience and kept them in town and, and had Hawk for another year, then uh, maybe the, it would have been a different story because you're right getting two teams off the ground at the same time is difficult. And one of them uh, sort of took their name out of the running and uh, opted out of that situation. And, and I really do wonder, um, you know, what could happen? Because people will make the argument that Pittsburgh is, uh, doesn't have enough size to be a four-sport town. And, and sure, I, I don't think they necessarily have the size to be a three-sport town. But Pittsburgh uh, continually punches above us weight class in a lot of different ways. And sports is one of them. You have uh, just incredible sports fandom here. It's like, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. The uh, first week I moved to Pittsburgh, uh, I went to church and the, and the, the pastor was wearing like a Steelers Jersey. I think it was a Heath Miller Jersey. And that's just the way it is. People are, if you're, if you're walking around the weekend, you're not wearing a Pirates, Penguins or Steelers Jersey. Um, you know, you're doing it wrong. So I can't look at you today and tell you that I don't think a basketball franchise could work. I think Pittsburgh could figure out a way to make it work. They've done a great job uh, supporting the Pitt Panthers over the years when they've had some, some pretty great teams. So, um, you know, I, I do think, you know, looking way back in hindsight, I think there could have been some optimism for a team surviving there and uh, they just pulled the plug too soon. See, now this is the interesting part to me because as I sort of did a little research to kind of sort of uh, backstop this sort of Piper's uh, 
Condor story. I mean, um, I think it's lost on a lot of people. It was certainly lost on me that, you know, uh, as basketball evolved uh, from, you know, more of a sort of a company team sort of sidelight kind of thing in the early part of the, of the, uh, of the 20th century, and then sort of, you know, uh, formed, if you will, some of the first leagues and, and, and all of that. I mean, uh, Pittsburgh's basketball history is actually pretty substantial. The, uh, the black five era, I mean, a lot of, uh, great, uh, great teams that sort of emanated out of that. But if you look back, right, you look at some of these leagues, like there was, there was a Pittsburgh franchise in just about every yeah. first year of every professional basketball league to start up. I mean, you had the Pirates of the NBL in, in, in 37. You had the Pittsburgh Ironmen in the BAA, the Basketball Association of America, which was one of the uh, the leagues that, that fused together to become ultimately the NBA. And they were also part of this thing called the ABL, the American Basketball League, the sort of Abe Saperstein, uh, you know, part of the, the whole Harlem Globetrotters sort of world as well. We've had a couple of conversations on that too. The Wrens were were part of that. So it, it's pretty clear that a lot of people felt that, that Pittsburgh was uh, and could have been and should have been a basketball town. So it maybe doesn't seem illogical I guess when you're starting a, a new league, a challenger league in the late 60s, that, that Pittsburgh might make some sense, especially the fact that there was no NBA franchise. Why not give it a shot? Absolutely. But, but it yeah, didn't absolutely. work out that way. For I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a little hard to gear head around because they, they, you're, you're right. When it, it just made logical sense. As soon as they decided to make a league, they said, you know, Pittsburgh makes some sense. Let's give, let's give it a try. And, and it just didn't function. But there are other cities where it didn't take off right away, right? Like we got the Minnesota Timberwolves today, and, and we just talked about how much difficulty they had getting anything off the ground there. And Minnesota is not really uh, you know, a basketball hotbed. And you look at Pittsburgh going all the way back. I mean, this is a fantastically rich basketball history you talked about the black fives he had the uh the the monticellos uh were one of the local um uh, all black teams and they had a guy named uh named uh come posey cumberland posey yeah who so we just had an episode on but uh two oh weeks yeah ago. yeah yeah so he ends up being i mean he ends up being a baseball hall of famer he plays for the homestead grays um an incredibly good um uh negro league team from pittsburgh and he's also he also leads the monticellos and and Man, just imagine if you could have, uh, you know, ridden the success of some of those early teams and the the talent and the the name recognition of those early teams and and uh, figured something out because the 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 Pirates, I think, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they they also uh, were the the Raiders at one point. I think they lasted just two or three years. You had the Iron Men, were just one year, and the Iron Men, oh boy, uh, so they were the the. Uh, <laughs> They played at the Duquesne Gardens. I'm trying to remember the details here. Yeah, by the way, for for our listeners, this is the uh, 1947-48 inaugural uh, NBA season, right? This is when the uh, the BAA and the NBL uh, officially merged, and the Ironmen were were the the result of such. Yep, and so they played at the uh, Duquesne Gardens, which are basically an old um, old uh, trolley trolley. Uh, car barn uh, in the east end of Pittsburgh and that's also where the, the Penguins practiced um, and they put up just such a stinker of a first season uh, they went something like 15 and, and 45 I think it was yeah. and, which qualifies it as like just one of the worst debut seasons of any team ever um, there was some some uh, list that Nate so I, sorry I didn't pull it up but Nate Silver and someone else pulled up uh, or they, they created a list of like just the <laughs> there's like using metrics to determine like he just had the absolute worst seasons uh, of all time uh, among basketball teams. And 
uh, our favorite Pittsburgh Ironman found a way to get to the top of that list. And, and so Pittsburgh would always have that to hold on to a 20, 20, um, you know, 15 or 16 list of the very worst basketball teams ever. Pittsburgh can hold on uh, to that dearly and, and hope they, you know, raise a banner for it. Uh, and then the Pittsburgh Wrens, like I said, it's another team that has that star power. They have, um, you know, they have the Hawk and they had some, um, you know, pretty decent teams for a minute there. And then uh, that place, you know, the thing just folds uh, pretty much all together and, and Civic Arena waits for another team to come along. And that's, that's the Pipers um, probably about uh, five, six years later. So it, it feels like they had every opportunity to make it work. And, and uh, the, the sad thing is like the last real run at it was such a disaster with this Pipers and Condors franchise um, where, where I had a handful of people read the story and reach out to me and say like, I hated the characters in your story. <laughs> like typically you're building a story around rather like interesting and likable characters. And I would say these guys are interesting. I mentioned Gabe Rubin earlier, um, but they are just like, they just look insane afterward because they're so desperate to make this thing work. Um, but they, but they like everything, like I said, is just a comedy of errors. Gabe Rubin, um, I mentioned he, he moved the team out of Pittsburgh. He ends up selling them. Uh, and he just, he just like, continually blast the local media stations for saying there's a conspiracy of silence that we didn't get uh, any sponsor. And so that's why we couldn't, uh, couldn't survive. And, and, and so no one feels bad for this guy. And, and then they end up having, uh, <laughs> as I mentioned, and I'll get into this, I guess the, the last season is such an epic collapse of a franchise that it, it wasn't going well anyway, entering the 72, 73 season, but the Condors, um, they decide, they are uh, their, their GM, Mark Binstein. He says, you know what? We got we to gotta figure out a way to make this franchise get back on its feet. What we're going to do here, here, here's what we're going to do. We're playing $25,000 to the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending NBA champs. They've got the big O, Oscar Robertson. They've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, who I believe was the, was the MVP the prior season. Let's pay 25000 get the Bucks to come out here for an exhibition game. We'll pack the house. It'll be right at the start of our season, and we'll just ride that wave throughout the season. Pittsburgh basketball will be back. And so this is what, again, that reader uh, reached out to me about was, was this game. What ends up happening is uh, I don't even want to want to blame Kareem to start with. I want to blame the timing of all this. It was uh, the night after the Penguins had played their season opener in the same building. Uh, Pitt football had a game the prior day right, right in town. Um, and the Steelers, the earlier that day, were opening the season in Cleveland. And then on top of all that, the, uh, the, the Buccos, the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, they had uh, game two of the World Series against the, uh, the Baltimore Orioles that night in, uh, in Baltimore. So I don't know who the heck is going to leave their couch and uh, leave whatever, whatever other game possibilities they have and, and go watch uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, plenty of people did. But basically, the, the schedule of it all, the timing of, of it all, definitely, uh, you know, hurt their uh, hurt their ticket revenue, the ticket sales. And so, what happens is they end up giving away a ton of tickets. They have um, almost almost ten thousand people show up to the game, which is definitely not anything to sniff at. But it's not the sellout they were promising for weeks and weeks and weeks all summer. Honestly, they'd been they um, Mark Binstein, the the uh, the GM, had been advertising bring on Al Sindor. So. Um, Kareem had, had changed his name earlier that summer, and I guess the, the Condors didn't really get the memo that they were supposed to hop on board and call him Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so they are advertising all summer. It's going to be a sellout. It's a bunch of money going to charity and all this. And, and <clears throat> what ends up happening is 
the Bucks get to town the night of the game. People show up. You have a you know a pretty pretty nice crowd at the game, and they find out a couple hours before the game when the head coach Larry Costello of the Bucks uh, he had he had gone to a local restaurant, taken a placemat, one of those paper placemats. He wrote on the back of it, "Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will not be playing due to eye injury," according to you know doctor recommendation. And they they announced it to the crowd, and everyone booed. And to make matters worse for the, the, the Condors, Kareem hadn't even shown up to the game. So he was injured and he just wasn't going to show up to this exhibition. So the, the Condors pleaded and pleaded with, with uh, the Bucks management to please get him over here. So they got him to come down from the, the team hotel downtown to, and, and come over to Civic Arena. And he uh, sat on the bench in street clothes and uh, at least got like a, you know, an appearance out of him. And then he, he left at halftime. And everyone was so livid and more than the fans, certainly they were upset, but they got to see Oscar Robertson score 29 points and, and uh, win the game anyway for the Bucks. Uh, but more than the fans, it was the GM and, and the ownerships that of the Condors that were upset. They immediately go into just like lawsuit mode and they, they, <laughs> they sued the Bucks for that $25,000. Uh, the quote from uh, one of their officials was, we didn't pay $25,000 for Bob Dandridge. Uh, who was a pretty good, pretty good player that game. He was, he scored, I think 25 points. And uh, so they, they filed a lawsuit for that. And the second half of the season is just a flood of lawsuits. It's, it's almost comical. We have like a local department store suing the Condors because they didn't give away all the, you know, this department store, uh, store paid, I think it was $7,508,000 to uh, give away a bunch of promotional items. And then the Condors just couldn't give them away because not enough people showed up. And so they get sued for it. Uh, they end up suing Brisker, who I mentioned earlier, uh, because he had, his agent has started talking to the, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, who he'd ultimately go to play for the next year. And they, they sued him to make him stop doing that. They got sued by Hertz Rental Car. And, um, and, and my, the, my favorite story, and this one came from um, Loose Balls, was that one night they, they, they didn't get sued, thankfully, for this one, but they had a, a cupcake night. And they said whoever won, uh, like what lucky fan would get, a thousand cupcakes. Uh, I hopefully they were done in like shifts or something because 1000 at one time is pretty bad. But anyway, they, they picked a guy, brought him down to the court and he announced that he was diabetic and uh, that wasn't a very popular answer with the crowd. So uh, it, it, it kind of all is going, uh, you know, just circling the drain at this point by January of that year, uh, Binstein uh, reveals that, that he just has like a treasure trove of promo items that, they were unable to give away. This is like 4,000 t-shirts, 9,000 warm-up jackets, you know, uh, watches. We have, uh, you know, berets, keychains, cufflinks, banners, caps. And uh, they were, it had less than a thousand people per game and they just couldn't give, give all this stuff away. So um, ultimately he just, he has taken a bath on all this stuff and losing a ton of money just left and right. And um, they ultimately end up the season playing home games in, such places as Birmingham, Alabama, and Tucson, Arizona, uh, they just knew they were headed out of Pittsburgh and, and needed another place to go. So they uh, ultimately wanted to go to El Paso, Texas. Uh, and just when they thought they were going to gonna get approval to go to El Paso full-time, then um, the ABA kind of came down and said, mm, I, think, I think we need to take this franchise out of you guys' hands. So they, even, even, even too risky for the ABA. <laughs> too risky for the ABA. So they, they bought out the owners. They folded the team. 
and they sort of divvied up the players. Um, and they also did the same thing with that Floridians uh, franchises that, that I mentioned that was originally the Minnesota Muskies. So uh, gone were gone were the Condors, gone were the Floridians, gone were the Muskies, and, and uh, Pittsburgh basketball has not been the same ever since. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you, arguably, you, you could you could make a case it's uh, the snake bit. I mean, all these franchises had <laughs> unique and interesting and and uh, somewhat just uh, woeful uh, situations. That, uh, but I just this seems to be so spectacular. And frankly, you're talking about the ABA version, right? This this franchise, right? You know, started off as good as it got yeah, in their very yeah. first season, and it just they just uh, outdid themselves by going down further and further. Well, uh, you know, arguably though, that it, it creates. Uh, I guess what I would imagine to be, and we sort of hinted at it earlier, but we'll tackle it now. I guess a bit of um, uh, logic for uh, a uh, an attempt at a, at a comedy movie, which itself was probably not nearly as good as any of the basketball teams. But what this thing, this cultural uh, uh, oddity known as a fish that saved Pittsburgh. Uh, well, let's talk about that because it, even though that this wasn't a real team, um, it does speak to the ethos, I guess, of Pittsburgh. Uh, and pro basketball, and uh, and uh, maybe even Gabe Kaplan, for all I know. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I have to admit right off the top, I have not seen the movie. I, well, have, I will I tell you right now, it's on NBA TV often, and it's, it, it's <laughs> uh, you're not missing much. But but it is it's it's like a car crash; you can't take your eyes off of it. <laughs> I had I had a um, um, someone that that grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, they had brought this movie up to me and I, I, like, even the, even just like the, the headline is the title is confusing to me. Um, I had no clue what they're talking about. So I finally looked it up and, um, this is, this is a great one. Local people actually have a ton of pride in, in the fish that saved Pittsburgh. It was filmed like totally in Pittsburgh. It was filmed a little bit over near, um, Robert Morris university as, as well in moon township. And so anything that's shot here, Pittsburgh people will, uh, just forever tell you and remind you that what was shot in Pittsburgh uh, you have the Batman movies. They're like, that was Pittsburgh. Don't that's, that's that bridge. I know that place. My uncle was in the crowd that day at the Steelers game. Um, so people in Pittsburgh love that. So you have to know that the fish they say Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was, uh, is still very beloved. I, I'm from Michigan, like I mentioned, and, and it feels a little bit to me like the people that love uh, the idea of the Flint tropics from, uh, from semi-pro another comedy and uh, people, they're going to hold on to them forever, you know, real or not. This is, uh, this is a special thing. So this, what, what was funny to me in looking into this movie a little bit was the, was the fact that this was uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, like, uh, we'll call it a little bit of a homecoming to Pittsburgh. So after, after having such a heroic flop in Pittsburgh when, when uh, you know, he's getting blamed now for the franchise going under because he had a, you know, failed to participate in the one game that they were paying for, um, you know, his, his appearance at, uh, he came back and he was in this movie. So I think that's gotta be a, a net win. Um, on the whole, I'm, and I guarantee you this film made more money, um, in the years since 1979 than the, the Pipers and Condors made in their, you know, short five year history. Well, there's a bunch of irony in it too. Um, who uh, all kind? I mean, first of all, he's got sort of this uh, character actor uh, train of of, of stars. Uh, Julia serving in a starring role. Jonathan Winters is in it. Uh, yeah. Jer- Jerry Tarkanian makes an appearance. Connie Hawkins is in it. He's on the Los Angeles team that that's uh, that's featured in the movie, as well as a one Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
So it, it's fascinating. But and again, music by uh, Tom Bell and, and the Silvers are in it. Marv Albert and Chick Hearn are calling that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a monstrosity uh, in a, a car wreck kind of way. Warning. An epidemic of fish fever is sweeping the nation. It is highly contagious. Fortunately, there is no cure. It's the fish that saved Pittsburgh. It's the fish. Fish. They're all Pisces. All Pisces. It's dazzling. It's futuristic. It's fun. Some balloons for everybody, huh? Don't cut your belly. It's got speed. It's got rhythm. It's got style. It's a new sensation, a celebration, and a secret weapon. Music. Take an Indian, a preacher, a midget, I am Stan, a magician, a hip DJ, an Arab, an astrologer, and a great big kid. What have you got? It's fish fever. And once you catch it, you're hooked. The fish that saved Pittsburgh. An astrological disco sports extravaganza. And may the fish be with you. Out of sight. I'm hip. Whatever. <laughs> it does speak, though. I mean, the, it, the whole sort of premise of the movie does circle around Pittsburgh and uh, its, its uh, ability or inability, frankly, to... to None of this would be possible, like even even as a, as a thinly veiled premise as this movie, uh, without maybe this sort of futility of basketball in Pittsburgh uh, in the first place. So I, yeah. I think that's at least what perhaps resonated with uh, with audiences, or at least during the screenplay part, because it, it actually made a lot of sense to zo- d- domicile uh, this wayward team in this in in Pittsburgh. I don't think it would fly in a in a New York or Los Angeles. It just wouldn't be the same. No, man, there's something special about Pittsburgh, and they they. End up, I think since then, only really giving it one more run at a uh, pro or semi-pro basketball team. They had the the aptly named uh, Pittsburgh Piranhas. I, between the Condors and the Piranhas, nothing really fits with Pittsburgh, but you know we're just going to go with it. This was mid-90s, and I think they only survived for, for one year maybe. Um, but this is part of the, the, the Continental Basketball Association, which is, of course, around for forever. Uh, not like a pro-pro basketball league. Uh, but certainly had some great teams over the years. And Pittsburgh landed a team for for a hot second. And, uh, you know, actually was a pretty good team for that one year and just didn't end up having much luck. They're playing uh, on Duquesne's campus right in the city. So, um, again, it just feels like if, if these Pittsburgh teams didn't have immediate success, uh, or even if they did, if they didn't see immediate revenue uh, turnover – then, then it just uh, didn't have much much rope to work with, and, and we end up seeing just this long line of we're talking about like you know probably six teams by now that six or seven teams that that came and went and and will forever be uh, forgotten. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, though, at the outset, like Pittsburgh is, is indeed uh, punches way above its weight as a sports town, right? Um, yeah. So I, going back and, and doing the story and, and, and circling around some of the, uh, uh, the exploits of, of, of hoops in the city, and, and um, I, do, do you get a sense that the, the city, given its, uh, its prowess now, it's obviously a, very, a regional powerhouse, big tech center, a lot of great universities yeah. there and, and all that kind of stuff. Do you ever think that, now I know this is obviously in a post-COVID kind of world, at least in the, in the near term, but do you ever sense that there is a, uh, perhaps a, some foundational support for uh, pro basketball on some level, maybe even a G League team at this point, uh, the sort of successor to the CBA and in the minor league sort of realm? Or is, is it just kind of maybe sort of, uh, you know, destined to kind of be more of a, a college thing at this point and, and it's really never going to take root professionally uh, on a grand scale? In yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. So my buddies and I, most of us, uh, you know, don't come from here originally. A lot of us met up at the at the newspaper, and that's something we we all came from basketball places. I grew up with the with the Pistons. You know, I grew up with uh, you know Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, and 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 all you know Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, all these uh, Detroit teams, and and loving you know all four pro sports in, in Detroit, and and as well as college. And here in Pittsburgh, it feels like it's much more either or. You're either a, uh, if you live outside of the city, maybe you don't care so much about pro sports, and you love Penn State. Or if you live in the city, you love every single pro sport that that's played within these walls, and and so from a I, I don't know I feel like enough talent comes out of Pittsburgh that there there could be enough of a, a talent pipeline to make things work here. But I think there's I think there's definitely the interest uh, to have a team, uh, even if it's a it's a smaller one. They had uh, just about probably four or five years ago when LeBron was back in uh, back in Cleveland. I think came back to Cleveland. Um, a couple of my buddies got a partial season uh, ticket package for for the uh, for for to watch LeBron up in Cleveland because it's like a two hour drive from here. So I don't know if that proximity to like a real team um, hurts Pittsburgh or helps because a lot of people think Philly is probably the closest thing to us. It's actually uh, a really long way. We're we're closer to uh, DC, we're closer to you know Baltimore, closer to Cincinnati and and uh, Cleveland. So there are a lot of big cities kind of in proximity, even closer to Detroit, really. So um, I don't know if that proximity to Cleveland would would hurt Pittsburgh, and and you can't just have you know them stacked on top of each other like that. But I, I think there's got to be an, an ability to, for them to have a G League or something like that. They have the infrastructure. We have the arenas here. There are some really, really incredible uh, ones here, but the basketball kind of goes the college route in this city. Penn State's not great, but they're also not in the city, um, and they have you know the ability and the, the finances to become great one day. Pitt has had some really good years. Robert Morris is right outside the city. They kind of make things exciting every once in a while. They actually uh, qualify for the NCAA tournament this year, and then uh, well, that didn't happen. And uh, Duquesne is also in the city, which has a pretty cool uh, basketball history. Um, that's more more history than lately, but uh, but so there is there is basketball. There is their appetite for it. The the Whippy um, local high school is uh, it's a great scene. And TJ McConnell, who's with the Indiana Pacers right now, is uh, from right here in Pittsburgh. And and uh, there is a there's a ton of talent. And I'd be really curious to see what happened if they tried this again, because like we said, they haven't given it a real honest to goodness go with pro basketball since 72 when, when the Condors left, I don't really think the piranhas necessarily count, but I understand it also takes a ton of infrastructure to make that work and a ton of support. So, um, you know, Pittsburgh is trying different things. They've got a, they've got a, 
um, you know, sort of a tier three soccer team. They're trying to get up and running and, and it has, you know, a devoted but small following. And, you know, if something like that were to catch fire, then maybe, maybe Pittsburgh were to consider, uh, you know, bringing a basketball team back full time. Because like I said, there are, there are a few sports cities like this with, uh, that might not have the, the massive size of a, of a, you know, East coast or West coast city, but it does have uh, just completely outsized sports, uh, you know, following. Yeah, I mean, uh, with no disrespect to Canton, uh, where the uh, Cleveland uh, G League team is domiciled, you, you think that it could actually be uh, perhaps a bigger market here. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, the Penguins obviously in the winter, but there's really not much else. I guess there's some minor league of this. There's always sort of this uh, uh, ABA uh, sort of in name only sort of trying to uh, ragtag its way to semi-pro uh, goodness and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you, you make a very good point. I mean, only two hours away, and I think the G League is very – is very interesting. I, we could have a whole other show about sort of the uh, the future of college basketball and the right. the one year play and everybody jumping into a the, the, the transfer portal and and trying to you know playing in three teams in their collegiate career after sitting out. It's just it's it's nonsensical at this point. And let alone before even you know uh, college players even start to get uh, paid for their likenesses and that kind of stuff. Uh, you think maybe the time is now becoming ripe for uh, a really solid. Um, minor league and the fact of the G league. And, you know, I, you have to think regionally, right. If from a marketing perspective, right. I mean, I'm sure Cleveland wants to, uh, you know, uh, own Ohio as, as broadly as they can. I probably want to keep Cincinnati under their wing and, and Akron and, and Dayton and all these other, and I guess, you know, Canton makes sense in, in that regard, but you know, you could also say Western Pennsylvania is up for grabs, right. I, I don't, yeah. I don't fancy many Pittsburgh people being Philadelphia 76ers fans, let alone, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a very interesting point and, and arguably could be a place in a, in a manner by which basketball could uh, root itself once again on some. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, it feels too like what they're doing, doing with G leagues um, is they're not necessarily looking for the biggest cities, which um, I'd be curious for them to pivot off of that because what we're seeing, I mean, the Erie Bayhawks are right, are right in our backyard. Canton is, is about probably equally close for Pittsburgh that Erie is, but I mean, Erie is your Western PA team and, and, they, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they're a Pelicans um, affiliate. And that doesn't obviously make any sense for where the Pelicans are located, but I'm not going to argue that. Um, you know, the the Sixers have um, their G League team in Delaware. That makes some sense. It's right kind of next door to them. But I'd be curious to see if instead of taking these G League teams and putting them in an Erie or, you know, in a Greensboro or, you know, Fort Wayne, my, my boss is from, from Fort Wayne, so I have to say, you know, Fort Wayne is a great city and they totally deserve their team. Um, however, like what if you instead you put them in some of these bigger cities that didn't have NBA teams almost as like a, uh, you know, a, a, an experiment as a, a starter project to see uh, could this thrive? Could it survive here? Because uh, I think if you, uh, if, like I said, the pit draws pretty well in, in Pittsburgh. If you were to bring some of the best, uh, you know, non NBA, non currently NBA uh, college basketball players or former college basketball players, um, into Pittsburgh with their G League teams. I mean, I'd go to games. I think my buddies would go to games. And I think there's a there's a large enough basketball following in the area that that it could really work. And I can't imagine it would be terribly expensive um, to host those games at PPG Paints Arena, which is where the where the Penguins play. Uh, they you know currently have some Duquesne games there, but I think they could make that work as far as the schedule goes and uh, really test you know test the waters to see if Pittsburgh could could uh, you know sustain its own team well before you all you listeners or listener in uh, in erie uh, start yelling at your devices uh, <laughs> you uh, already know that uh, erie is uh, 
the Pelicans are moving uh, the Erie Bay Hawks to oh, Birmingham. No. To Birmingham, yes, for the 2022-23 season. Uh, so I guess it's going to be kind of a uh, a lame duck a year or two once uh, we actually start to play again. So that so maybe sorry, arguing Erie. even well, well, but maybe sorry for Erie, but maybe that could be to your point. Maybe Pittsburgh's gain, as you think, again more regionally, and I think yeah. that's that's why the Pelicans are trying to indeed regionalize and and uh, I, it's shrewd if you think about it from the business of basketball business of sports you regionalize stuff right where uh somewhat nearby you've got a uh, your minor league team that feeds you in and it it just it enables marketing to be uh, done more uh, efficiently and kind of builds uh, more support for a team versus just sort of the core city and stuff so hey right. why not pittsburgh at this point it's it's regionally close to a bunch of places and it makes a whole lot of sense. And look, the irony, again, is, is, is rich in this conversation. There is heritage here. It goes all the way back to the turn of the, the 19th into the 20th century with, you know, some of the earliest and best. Uh, you mentioned Cumberland Posey and, and, yeah. and the, the, the Black Five uh, teams of, of that era. There are, it's just, it's, it's there, right? I think it's just, it's dormant. Uh, it's been <laughs> arguably a time and again, woefully executed, but um, I don't know. Right, mishandled. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I guess I wax nostalgic and maybe optimistic that, uh, that Pittsburgh and basketball can live in harmony at some point someday again. Yeah. Well, I mean, how appropriate the uh, Erie Bayhawks moving down to, to Birmingham, uh, one of the very places where, where our Condors ended up playing home games when they, when they lost their home in Pittsburgh or where they were, when they were losing their home in Pittsburgh. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see it. This, this sort of uh, your comment about moving to sort of regionalizing your minor league teams, I think makes all the sense in the world. And it's, it's funny how long it's taken for a lot of that to happen uh, or a little thought is really put into it uh, from the Erie perspective. I mean, I don't <laughs> flying out of Erie or Cleveland versus flying out of Pittsburgh can't really be all that much different. So um, would love to see what, what happened if a team, you know, a team somewhat regional to Pittsburgh decided to, to change things up there. Um, Cause like I said, there are a ton of teams within driving distance or, or a short flight. Uh, but it also reminds me that to switch sports very, very quickly is the, uh, the pirates used to have, used to have their triple a team in Hawaii, uh, which doesn't make sense for anybody to have a minor league team in, in Hawaii really. Um, but if you, the Los Angeles Dodgers, I could see maybe why that made sense. But uh, the, the pirates, I mean, they had a minor league team, I think also in like Calgary one year. So Teams somehow over the years didn't seem to to really grasp the idea of how important it would be to have your players nearby uh, the, the city where they may one day make their you know professional debut. So uh, I guess this is just one more example, and, and uh, we'll see if teams continue to to trend toward the regionalized approach where you can uh, have somebody on a plane within a couple uh, you know a couple hours and, and make your make your game that same night. All right. Well, you've been a, you've been a great sport. Let's uh, let's give you some uh, ample time to promote here. Uh, first of all, I'll I'll start the festivities. So the the article that one must uh, get an a uh, an athletic uh, subscription for uh, to read is called "How the Pipers, Condors, and Pro Basketball in Pittsburgh Went Extinct," and uh, I guess that was penned on June eighth, just a few weeks back. Uh, but g- give us a, a bit of uh, your your other work and what you're doing at the athletic and uh, where we can follow you socially and all that kind of stuff. Maybe other things you got in your, in your mind to kind of put to paper or maybe a book. Who knows what, what else? You got? <laughs> yes. Well, Hey, we're working on a book one of these days, but yeah, thank you for shouting out that story. Um, yeah. So 
I, I am a enterprise writer in Pittsburgh. So I kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, you might get condors one day, the Steelers the next day, uh, pirates one day, penguins the next sort of, uh, quarantine. We're kind of doing whatever we can figure out at this point. Um, I do have, um, you know, a pretty lengthy list of, of stories you can go look at in sort of the archives of what I've written in at the, uh, the athletics since I joined about a, a year and, uh, you know, 15 months ago, maybe total. And, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of stuff. I love deep dives into history. I love, uh, flipping through newspaper archives and, and finding out I'm a 91 birthday. So I love learning about things that happened long before I was born. Uh, the latest one I wrote and had a ton of fun with was, um, about Tim Horton, who was, uh, yes. you know, of, of Tim Horton's fame. Um, and I, I, as a youngster, didn't realize that Tim Horton behind Tim Hortons was a, a hockey player, a very good one, a hall of fame hockey player. And so I ended up, uh, he has some Pittsburgh ties where his wife was from Pittsburgh and he played for the, uh, you know, now extinct Pittsburgh Hornets was his minor league team. They were the affiliate of the Maple Leafs and, and really his NHL career kind of funded his whole uh, donut and coffee enterprise that ended up being Tim Hortons. So his is a very um, interesting story of uh, persistence and uh, ultimately tragedy and trying a lot of things and failing and, and, uh, and uh, so I, I think a very interesting one that if anyone has a, has a bit of a bent for historical sports narratives, um, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a good one to look at. Now, where can we follow you socially? Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Stephen J Nesbitt. That's Stephen with a PH and uh, Nesbitt with two T's. All right. And before we leave you, we do have one. I'll give you a suggestion. Uh, and I, uh, uh, you know, one of my best friends in the whole world who uh, sadly passed uh, I don't know, it was almost 10 years ago now, but uh, he grew up in, in Pittsburgh. And um, uh, one of our initial uh, times that we uh, bonded uh, together, uh, we were uh, with a bunch of other friends and we were traveling uh, post-college in, in the, the, the Pyrenees and kind of going between France and Spain and stuff. And then I mentioned a, uh, a wayward indoor soccer team in the Pittsburgh spirit and his eyes lit up. And, you know, while he, you know, would have told you how deep and uh, substantially a Steelers and a Pirates fan and, and to a lesser extent Penguins fan, he was uh, growing up, he uh, regaled. And I found this for many Pittsburgh natives talk about the spirit in the most loving of terms, even though they were only there for a brief period of time. Yeah. Uh, you could do worse than to, uh, Turn a few stones on the story of the Pittsburgh spirit, uh, the old <laughs> MISL. If, uh, if you know what's good for you, Stephen, if you've got some time and you're still going to be uh, regionally centered in Pittsburgh, you might want to tackle that story. That's uh, just a, a little tip from your pal, Tim. Yeah, I absolutely should. So that is actually a very beloved team in this area, indoor soccer team. And uh, I was talking to one of my colleagues recently, uh, Rob Beer Temple, and he remembered going to a game somehow – sneaking down to the locker rooms with his buddies and Stan Terlecki was their was their kind of star player. I think they stole a, like a pair of his shorts or something uh from the from from the the locker room so maybe we'll uh track down all the old bits of uh Pittsburgh spirit memorabilia we can find and, and we'll turn a story into it. We get 10%. That's all we ask. <laughs> Deal. All right. Our thanks to Stephen. A fantastic and fun-filled conversation. Uh, let's see. You want to follow Stephen in all his writing exploits? Well, the first thing you should do, post-haste, is uh, get yourself a subscription to The Athletic. Yep, theathletic.com. 
And uh, once you uh, subscribe, uh, you want to search up his uh, one of his latest uh, efforts uh, and the excuse for this little show this week. The June 8th, 2020 article called How the Pipers, Condors, and Pro Basketball in Pittsburgh Went Extinct. Great article, some great pictures in there, and uh, a real a mere taste, frankly, of what Steven's got for you when you subscribe to The Athletic and, and read his stuff, and as well as all the other great stuff. Uh, you want to uh, read about sports in Pittsburgh nowadays, uh, sports in Pittsburgh in the past, sports generally uh, in the past, and, and, and ongoing. Steven's your guy, and The Athletic is the site. You can also follow Stephen on Twitter at Stephen J. Nesbitt. And that's Stephen with a P-H. So that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-J, the letter J, Nesbitt, N-E-S-B-I-T-T, at Stephen J. Nesbitt. Pretty easy to remember once you get it all figured out. And uh, I'm sure he'll be glad to get a follow from you. And uh, we'll certainly keep a follow on him, of course, if there are other topics that cross our little radar. We're, of course, going to dial him up uh, on the speed dial for sure. Uh, you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that too while you're there. Uh, we're at Good Seats still. So why don't you just click a little follow there and uh, and see what we're up to each and every week. And uh, we've got a lot of fun little things that are going on each day. We try to keep uh, active and uh, and excited uh, on that little uh, that little platform. You can follow us on uh, on Instagram as well. You'll find us at Good Seats still available. Uh, you'll find us on Facebook too. There's a little page devoted to us too. doesn't really matter where you follow us. Just do it for God's sakes. And if you forget all that stuff, just go to our website. That's the easiest thing to remember. And that's, as you can imagine, goodseatsstillavailable.com. It's all one word. Just type it all in. Watch your spelling. Goodseatsstillavailable.com. And not only will you find all of our social media links, you'll find uh, a convenient link to our our, uh, email uh, address, which happens to be, if you want to do it directly, hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. See, pretty simple. Uh, If you want to get our weekly email newsletter, you can do that too. There's a just to find the tab or two there and just uh, enter in your email address and your name and uh, boom, you're on the list. And uh, every Saturday or Sunday, you'll get a little email from us giving you a heads up on, uh, on what's coming up in the uh, episodic uh, endeavors of, uh, of, the, of the following week. Let's see what else. Oh, of course, on the website, you're going to see all of our 170 plus episodes and then some uh, and lots of other fun stuff to come. Uh, it's the repository for everything we've ever done for the last three and a half years, and you can stream them and share them and download them, do whatever you want. Uh, but we appreciate when you come to visit. Lots more to come, so keep that bookmark, will you, in your favorite browser, wherever and whenever that might be. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, we got to say thank you and and uh, tip our, uh, I guess, our Pittsburgh uh, Pirates baseball cap uh, in the, the general direction of our pal, Jerry Payne. He of Jerry Payne Audio Excellence. I think he's put that as part of his name now. I think it's his full legal name. He might have gone to the the courthouse and changed it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to fill out his taxes now, but uh, whatever. Jerry Payne and his Audio Excellence uh, caravan continues to do their best for us each and every week. And, uh, you know, he didn't screw it up this week. We uh, we try to put a little few little landmines each and every week when we do this show. Uh, but uh, he has, uh, with aplomb, uh, figured it out. And uh, he, we can't fool him. And uh, we thank him, of course, for all his uh, his work each week, uh, despite all the obstacles uh, we throw his way. And we also want to say thank you to you, of course, for going out of your way, downloading us, listening to us, a lot of other stuff out there, a lot of craziness out there. 
Hopefully we gave you a little bit of a respite and a bit of a distraction. And we trust and hope you're doing all the right things, staying safe, staying healthy, staying socially conscious, and doing something about all of those things in the most positive manner that you can. All right. In that power of positivity, I leave you now. I'm not going to leave you hanging. You have to remember that The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, that 1979 film, which just had a, just a laundry list of people, both credited and uncredited. I mean, you got to go to the Wikipedia page and just check out all the names of the people that were part of this film. I mean, we're talking about basketball folks like Super John Williamson and Norm Nixon and Kareem was in there. Connie Hawkins, interestingly, was on the Los Angeles team uh, featured in this film. Jerry Tarkanian, he was a consultant as well as a, an on-screen coach. But people like Julius Irving and Jonathan Winters and, uh, you know, who else? Uh, Harry Shearer was in there. Uh, Flip Wilson, a young Stockard Channing, a young Debbie Allen and so many others. Just It was just a, a cavalcade of stars and, uh, and character actors and professional and non-professional basketball players. But the thing that stood out about this film was probably the most uh, memorable soundtrack of of the late 70s. And uh, it's a cat's meow, shall we say. It's, it's for the connoisseur, the soul music connoisseur. Uh, the Fish That Saved Pittsburgh uh, uh, LP uh, produced by the mighty Tom Bell of Philadelphia Soul fame. Uh, the Philadelphia Sound, the, the TSOP, if you will. Uh, and uh, we're going to leave you with one of those uh, great songs produced by Tom Bell and sung by the mighty Silvers. Yes, of Hotline fame. And here is the, uh, I guess you could call it the theme song of this movie. It's certainly the theme song of the fictional team, the Pittsburgh Pisces. Fish Fever, yes, here it is. And it's called Mighty, Mighty Pisces. And uh, take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Got the power. Ha, ha, ha.